Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This word in your ear, Mark, is brought to you by NordVPN. And VPN stands for what, I Mark can Allen? confidently tell you. Tell me. Virtual Private Network. Tell me again. It's Virtual Private Network, David. That's absolutely correct. And that's a way to keep your data safe on the internet, whether you're logging in from a home or abroad, or in the comfort of your own home, or in an internet cafe or whatever on a street corner uh vpn protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal that identity and at the same time it enables you to access the internet in via servers in more than 50 different countries which means you can often sidestep the um region restrictions and stream movies and can see tv that's not available in this country yeah and you and you can see i'll tell you the thing i was just looking up I was looking at YouTube via the USA, and uh, yeah, and you know you get football highlights in the UK via YouTube. You get longer football highlights in the United States because they're not interested in football, hence, hence they can have more. Yeah. But also, I was looking at um, movies you can see on YouTube uh, with adverts for nothing in the United States, and I was watching one, a documentary about Muscle Shoals Studio, and uh, the particular bit I was watching focused on the story of a hospital orderly who was heard singing at a local gig, which immediately led to him going into a recording studio. And uh, his first time in a recording studio, making a record, there was a huge hit all around the world. So the first record he made was When a Man Loves a Woman. No, it was a hospital orderly. Percy Sledge, first time in the studio, When a Man Loves a Woman. It's all downhill after that. It is. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's what I discovered via NordVPN. Meanwhile, you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free, and a bonus gift. It's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Full details as ever below. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Last week, uh, John Montagna from New York, uh, one of our patrons, sent in a, a stack waddy, and I thought I'd just continue that theme. Uh, it was about pseudonyms. I thought I'd just try you on these because I really like them. This is These are pseudonyms used by five well-known guitarists to record anonymously. Four of them are real and one is a ringer. Spot the imposter. OK, the pseudonyms are S. Flavius Mercurius, Bijou Drains, <laughs> Deacon L.J. Bates, Niels Schoberg and J. Toad. Wow. Four of those are real names used by very well-known guitar players. To record. You know, I don't know any of them. I um, didn't know any of them. And, uh, and I certainly don't know Jay Toad, so I'm going to pick that as the real. Jay Toad. Jay Toad is, is not the, the, the imposter. No, the, the, the I mean, S. Flavius Mercurius was Jimmy Page on Same Old Rock by Roy Harper. Bijou Drains. Do you remember Pete Townsend was partly responsible for forming the group uh, Thunderclap Newman. Oh, right, cool. And then he, on Something in the Air, he plays the bass under the name Bijou Drains. Blind Lemon Jefferson's first recording, which was See That My Grave Is Kept Clean in 1925. He recorded as, I don't know why, actually, he recorded as Deacon L.J. Bates. J. Toad, Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck on My World Is Empty Without You by Vanilla Fudge. And Niels Schoberg was Taylor Swift when she uh, co-wrote Calvin Harris's hit This Is What You Came For. So what's the, what's the ringer again? The ringer is, is Niels Schoberg. Oh, she wasn't a guitar player. She was a, she was a songwriter. That's a recent well, thing. Very good. Very good. I want to say something. I've been away to this weekend. I went to the Cheltenham Festival. So we drove down there and then we went somewhere on the way. So we were driving around Oxfordshire and Blenheim and so forth and down to Cheltenham. And then we came back yesterday. And the week before, the weekend before... I was in uh, North Yorkshire, Ilkley, and driving around there. And in both weekends, the weather, I don't know if you noticed, was fantastic. It was gorgeous, wasn't it? I don't it? know if it was where you were. Yeah, London was lovely. It was where we were. And so we got the opportunity to drive in lovely autumn sunshine amid the changing colours of the English countryside. And it's just an opportunity to stop and observe. It's a remarkably lovely country. This and country, I, it I, is. And I don't think we recognise that quite as often as we should. And I've just had that opportunity in the last two weekends, and I've very much enjoyed it. It's so true because if if you certainly if you live in London, if you live in big cities, you know, just watching news and stuff all the time and reading newspapers, your world is very closed down to that kind of thing, isn't it? My sister lives out in my eldest sister lives out in Dockenfield in Surrey. We went to see them the other day. We were just stunned. We went for this fabulous walk up in the woods there. Incredible views. You get views too, which you never get in London. You can no. see, you know, ten, fifteen miles. It's fantastic. No. no, we should we should appreciate it more. Also, autumn underrated. Oh, have you ever definitely. been to Vermont in the autumn? It's fantastic. Never have, but that's supposed to oh, be Oh, those crim crimson leaves. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. But anyway, never mind Vermont. Good point. England. Just England. That'll do. England in the autumn. Fantastic. So Nick Hornby, did you see Nick Hornby's... Um, an extract from his book was published this weekend. I thought it sounded fantastic, actually. 
The concept is, it's called Dickens and Prince, A Peculiar Kind of Genius. And it comes out in about, I don't know, I think about three weeks' time. And it's such a clever idea. He's looked at the similarities between these two as a way of kind of scrutinising what makes them work. You know, things that I did, I know quite a lot about Dickens. I don't know very much about Prince, actually. Um, Both abandoned as children. Dickens, we know, was abandoned when he was about 12, worked at the blacking factory, uh, lived with his kind of miserable landlords uh, while the family were in Marshalsea. Prince lived with an... He was booted out of the home, lived with an aunt. Uh, this is when he was 11. His parents split up. His father then kicked him out. And he was literally kind of homeless at the age of 12 and lived with a mate. He was kind of on the street. They're both incredibly prolific. I mean, they, Dickens died at 58. Uh, Prince died at 57. Dickens wrote four million words, Dave, mm. just in novels and novellas. Plus, there were 14,000 letters published. It's incredible. Then there was all his journalism. Then there were his plays, and he edited a weekly journal. Prince, 42 albums. They estimate, it's most conservative, that he has 5,000 unreleased songs. So if you put out a 10-song album twice a year, uh, then he could do that for the next 250 years. It's amazing, isn't it? But uh, interesting contrasts uh, are my rising thinking. Dickens pretty much published everything he wrote, didn't he? Yes, he did. Whereas Prince he produced loads of stuff that he didn't put out. No, he held it back. Absolutely. Uh, which is... Uh, and, and Dickens also writing against a deadline, you know, sitting down thinking, all right, I've got to write the next yeah, instalment yeah. of whatever it is in the next, in the next two weeks. Because basically... The, the the boy will be standing there ready to take it to the printer. At yeah, the, yeah. When I, when I finish. And a vast international audience be waiting to read it. So yeah. I've, I've, I've absolutely got to do it. Yeah. No, he made another really incredible point that Dickens could work on, this must be virtually unique, could work on more than one novel simultaneously. Oh, yeah, he could. So you're keeping an entire cast of characters, a plot, um, a tone, an atmosphere, completely separate in your head. It's incredible. And obviously, Prince worked on two or three albums simultaneously. It's slightly different, but it's still extraordinary that he could do it. You know, They both thought they were ripped off. Dickens, you remember? I mean, Dickens' uh, yeah, plays. Yeah, well, definitely. All know, these plays were written about based on Dickens' books, which he received no money from. And the most extraordinary indication of how rapidly successful he was was that Pickwick Papers, one of the very, very earliest, was in fact the earliest. First, yeah. first one. Pickwick first Papers, somebody hit. wrote a play after 12 monthly instalments. In fact, there were 20 in total. So there was already a play written before the book was finished and touring, for which he made no money. And Prince, of course, signed that, whatever it was, supposedly $100 million contract, and then discovered he didn't own his own copyrights. So they both did the same thing, which is they returned to live performance for revenue. Remember, Dickens went and toured America, vastly successful. Prince did all those tours. Prince played 21 nights at the O2. And they both died, in a sense, partly from overwork. You know, Dickens' run-down stroke a lot of skin infections and headaches and a lot of laudanum being taken, you know. Prince uh, died of prescription painkillers, which he kind of took to, to allow him to carry on carry on working. So there are all sorts of uh, similarities. I think it's a really clever and original idea for a book. And also it's a really good point that Dick Hornby made, I think, about, about novels. He said, I don't think the great writing is in fiction anymore. He said, I think the great writing is in TV. He said, it's TV serials. You know, it's The Wire and it's Breaking Bad and it's, uh, you know, it's Succession. It's things where people are under this discipline where they've got to come up with, a, as Dickens did, with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a cliffhanger. 
every kind of whatever it is, 45 minutes, you know. And uh, I It also accounts for the fact that very often Dickens' books, like long-running TV serials, the least satisfactory thing about them is the ending. Because yeah. they're not built to end. They're built to sustain. Yeah, you know, yeah. You rarely get to the end of a Dickens novel and go, wow. It's all tied up, you know. Um, you know, he just Tale of Two Cities. To... You do. I remember that. With oh, the, well, I've never with the read death scene. Oh, okay, okay. I'll okay. no, yeah, yeah. give you that. I'll give you that one. But yeah, no, I look forward to reading it. Oh, it's fantastic. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Okay, uh, and welcome to a special birthday Patreon guest, Carl Chu. Good morning. Is it? Is it your birthday today? Uh, it was not. It was uh, two days ago on Saturday. And how did you? And celebrate? what happened? Um, it was. It was actually a very quiet birthday because this year, because I had family away, I actually only had the birthday there yesterday. Uh, for my actual birthday, uh, what did I do? I went to see a couple of movies at the London Film Festival. Right. Go on. What did you see? Um, I saw Super Eagles '96, which was a, a documentary about the Nigerian fo- national football team from the '90s, uh, which was very fascinating. <laughs> a lot of never seen before. Wow. And uh, the other movie I saw was uh, New Normal, which was a, a Korean horror movie, and uh, it, was, it, it was episodic. It was sort of this fun. is good. That's very good. That's very good. This birthday fair. Go see two films. It goes a Korean yeah, horror story yeah, and yeah. a film about the Nigerian football team. That's very good. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, the, the, the noticeable thing about the, this uh, Korean horror movie—it wasn't terribly gory, but it was very good. It, it, it actually brings back to something that you mentioned uh, some time ago on the, the Word in Your podcast. Um, placement of Apple products, product placement, because you, you mentioned that uh, there was a strict rule about Apple not allowing their products to be used by by villains. But yet, in this movie, the, 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 the Apple products, the Apple iPhone, was being used by. Uh, they weren't exactly heroes, but they were at the very least morally ambiguous characters, <laughs> like uh, a peeping Tom or or, or a, a, a slap. But that's just an iPhone. It's like saying you can't use, I don't know, a Hoover or something. Uh, it's just, it's just any 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 device is probably going to be an iPhone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they didn't hold it up to the camera so you could see the make or anything. Oh, you, you could quite clearly see it was an iPhone. Oh well, I, I they can't stop. Apple that. actually changed their policy, or or is this? Uh, uh, a sort of new direction for them, but uh, I, sh- I really regret not asking the uh, the director about this during the Q and A, uh, which actually brings me to the second thing I want to bring up because I went to the, both these movies. I went to see there were Q and As afterwards, and there was a refreshing lack of statement twats during these Q and As. Oh right, there are no, questions because right. you, you've been to these Q and As before. You know what you know what happens. There's always some man, and it's always a man who holds his hands up and goes, "I, I don't actually have a question, but I'd like this to is- say." Yeah, and they proceed to give their opinion. That I like to make clear that I know more about the subject than you yeah, do. Exactly. I I did the thing only yesterday. I was chairing a thing at the Cheltenham Literature Festival, and when I threw it open, I now say, "Has anybody got any questions or observations they wish to make?" <laughs> uh, you know, then you make it plain that there is a kind of distinction between the two, because in case anybody listening has not noticed this, this is the bane of the lives of anybody who chairs a session with an author. Any questions, most of them are not questions at all. They're usually, they're very often saying, I know something you don't know. You know, that's, that's kind they're of just people showing off and yeah. loving the sound of their own voice. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's traditional on these occasions, Carl. Have you got a, have you got a question or have you got a log you'd care to throw on the word in your well, ear of fire? 
Uh, I'd like to ask about support acts, opening acts at concerts. Now, more often than not, you go see a concert and there's an opening act that you've never heard of and you never never hear of again. Uh, sometimes when you go to a big concert, particularly a stadium gig, uh, the opening acts is somebody you've heard of. It's sort of biggish name like uh, Tiger Chiefs opening for for you two or or Morrissey supporting uh, Madness. And sometimes, occasionally, you see you go to a concert. There's an opening act, and you think that's very good. She's very good. He's very good. I must remember that name and keep an eye out for them in the future. So my, my question is, who's who is the best? Unheard of at the time, support act you've ever seen at a gig. When you say, I you mean, absolutely unheard of. I can't well, remember seeing Te Teardrop Explodes right down the bottom of a bill at the music machine. But I mean, they, they, they must have been mentioned in newspapers or whatever. That was news to me. But I mean, unheard of. Dave, have you got any people you thought Well, I don't know about obscure? unheard of. I've got, I've got two examples. At the time. I've got two examples. Uh, and, and the first, I don't know if it in, entirely qualifies as a support act because this is in the days of package tours when you want to see you know, six acts on the bill and Chuck Berry at the top. The first gig I ever went to see was Chuck Berry at the top, but pretty much down the bill, almost the opening act, were the animals. <laughs> you know, and they played like four songs because that's all you could do if you're if you're in the on those kind of bills in those days. And one of them was this is a new thing that we're going to record soon. And they played House of the Rising Sun. And they apologized for the fact that it was quite long. It must have been about three and a half minutes, which at the time seemed interminable. But they were fantastic, you know, yawning and going to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> but the other, the other case, more of a sport act, which I definitely hadn't heard of and didn't know anything about at the time, is I went to see you two um, at the Meadowlands in New Jersey in I don't know when this would be eighty four, eighty five, or something like that. Yeah, the war tour. Yeah, so whenever that was. eighty three, that was okay. There you go. And uh, and the support act were Lone Justice. Oh yeah, who I thought was sensational. I, you know, I remember you ringing me up and saying, "I want to manage this band." <laughs> I can remember you saying that. Oh, what a! This proves I should never ever. Never be an A and R man. Never. No, be they were. They went on but, to gr but great they, things. They, well, they didn't really go. <coughs> well, you featured them a lot on whistle tests. Absolutely, because yeah. I was so impressed, and I think they were a rare case of they were just different from you two, and they went on there with a load of songs you'd never heard before, and that's the test, and and made you listen. And, you know, the odd one with the cover versions, they did a version of uh, Velvet Underground, Sweet Jane, and things like that. And I thought they were so impressive. And as you say, I was instrumental on, on getting them on the whistle test. But oddly enough, they never really worked as a headliner, oddly enough. They no. kind of worked perfectly down the bill to you too. You they know, weren't that... Dramatic and charismatic, were they? They were just a it's really, really good group a making really wonderful good records. Support she group, was fantastic. Sort of, sort of never made a headliner, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tragic, tragic, but true. So that's my case. What about you, Mark? No, no I think the only one I could think of really was was Teardrop Explodes, and they were, I think, supporting. I think Patrick Fitzgerald band at the uh, and right down the bottom of Bill at the at the Music Machine. But beyond that, there must be more. But I can't, just can't think now off the top of my head. Well, I mean, the famous case I always quote, but they're obviously not known, not unknown at all. Little Feet supported Doobie Brothers at the Rainbow, you know, and were were, were such a an extraordinary success. The Doobie Brothers could hardly get on stage, you know. But they were sort of known, weren't they? I mean, you'd well, read about them in the papers and things. Yeah, 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 so, yeah but, but unknown is a difficult one. Yeah, yeah it's a good yeah. question, though. Very good question. Is it? What about you? Have you got one? Um. Well, 
June of 1992, I, I went to see Squeezed at the Town and Country Club. And uh, their opening act was this female singer. And she was she was very good. And I thought, I must I must keep an eye out for her. What's her name? And at the end of her set, she went, my name is Tasman Archer. Thank you for listening. Oh. Three months later, Sleeping Satellite was top of the charts. There you go. And then never heard of again. Exactly. How weird is that? <laughs> well, look, thank you very much for that, Carl. Well, and, thanks for uh, having me on again. Thank, very thank nice you. to have you. And, uh, and nice to mark your birthday, even if we're slightly late in doing it. And thank, thank We'll you see you, if a, not before, in a year's time. Thanks for That's being please. a Patreon supporter. Very good. We very much appreciate it. All the very best. All right. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye. Take Bye. care, guys. <laughs> You're listening to The Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. You know, as we've often observed, pop-picking is a fast and furious business these days, so we've got to keep track of what's happening with the hot new names. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Well, there was an extract from his, which you and I both read, from his upcoming book, The Philosophy of Modern Song. Um, and I, which I thought was really interesting, because I just, I, again, I don't know what I feel about this. The, the news is great. Dylan's written another book, first since Chronicles. Um... And it's uh, his impressions of various songs. And we now know, because someone has leaked the contents page. Have you seen this? So we know what songs he's going to write. Oh, it's written. He's writing about Witchy Woman. Don't let me be misunderstood. Witchy. Blue Moon, you're cheating. I Witchy Woman, I know. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. That's a weird one. It's a weird one, isn't it? <laughs> your cheating art. Pump it up by Elvis Costello. Tutti Frutti. Mac the Knife. Great Pretender, On the Street Where You Live, London Calling, Black Magic Woman, that's extraordinary, do you think? Ball of Confusion. But I mean, I, I, I just didn't know what to think reading this, because when you read books about songs, what you want is a, a variety of different ways of covering them. You want some journalistic stuff which talks about the context of the song, the people who wrote it, you know what I mean, the, 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 the recording... Uh, its creation, what inspired it, etc. And in this book, it appears that what we're getting is just 
Dylan's kind of sense impression of the song. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. This is his thing he wrote about strangers in the night. He said, intruders, oddballs, cooks and villains in this gloomy, lifeless, dark fight for space. Two rootless, alienated people, withdrawn and isolated, open the door to each other. Sweethearts and honeys, right from the beginning. I should be doing this in Dylan voice, really. Now you're yoked together, one flesh in perpetuity, into the vast eternity, immortalised. So that's the kind of thing that he's telling you. So what he's doing is saying, this is how I felt listening to this song. Okay, here's another really quick one. This is My Generation by The Who. He says, in this song, people are trying to slap you around, slap you in the face, vilify you. They're rude and they slam you down. They take cheap, cheap shots. They don't like you because you pull out all the stops and go for broke. You put your heart and soul into everything and shoot the works because you've got energy and strength and purpose. So that's the tenor of this book. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I just didn't know what I felt about it. I mean, we shall see when the whole thing well, comes I'll tell out. you what I feel about it. I feel that based on those two entries that you've read to me, I feel each of them should uh, terminate with the age-old expression, will this do? Will this do, Ed? Because that just... That's just completely off the top of the head. It really I mean? feels like, it feels to me like a lockdown it's, project. It, it feels to me really like a man really who's meant to be going on a world tour and he's sitting at home and he's done his welding yeah. and he's had some breakfast. He's thinking, what the hell am I going to do for the rest of the day? What do you do? I might as well welding. put on my generation by the who and just see what I think about it. So I really don't know. I don't know. We oh, shall see when it comes. We will obviously we'll be talking about it more when it comes out in two or three weeks' time. So but, he's uh, playing live this week. Are you going? I'm not. No, we're not going. I tell you why we're not going. Because now, no, I'm going to pick you up here, Mark Ellen. That you made the very interesting little transition you made. I said, "Are you going?" And he said, "No, I'm not going. We're not going." Because the important thing is, your wife is devoted to Bob Dylan. She is. Okay. Now, um, is it not that? Why does? Why doesn't she go? It's a lot of money, but why doesn't she go? Just uh, don't worry. Why don't you go and crinkle three hundred pounds in her in her lovely hand and say, "Here you are, darling. Buy yourself something nice." I think we thought it was a joint venture, really. Oh um, dear! But I don't know. Buy yourself something nice. Should well, just see, stuff a big roll of that. Two hundred, two hundred, uh, six hundred pounds for the two of you. That's yeah. a lot. I think that's it's a lot that. of letters. Yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> but you know, the fact is, you would go and and be kind of. It, interested in a detached way where she goes because it's the stuff of life that's a very different thing it is but she's been so mortally disappointed also the last time we went uh the same time you went and we were in the front row and so there we were what i don't know 20 feet from bob dylan oh, i think there's that feeling that it, whatever it is it's going to be a terrible disappointment as well i don't but know. then again you see it's the palladium and because the Palladium obviously doesn't have a long-running show in there at the moment. There's no kind of whatever it, whatever's been running there. Is that there. why there's so many more rockings? I guess well, it must, it must be, be. It must be because everybody's playing the Palladium. I went to the analogues at the Palladium a couple of weeks ago. Morrissey was playing the Palladium last week, wasn't he? Mark Almond was playing the Palladium last yeah. night. Bob Dylan's there this week, and no doubt there's there's tons more. And, you know, the Palladium has not been used in a big way as a venue for years, has it? No, it hasn't. The Palladium has a huge amount to be said for it. It's not that big. You know, what is it? It's, oh, it's than, only about 2,000 and it's two and a bit. It's than 2,000, isn't it? I, yeah, I think, it's about half the size of Hammersmith Odeon. Okay, there you go. So you can see and you can hear... And it's just next to Oxford Circus Tube Station. Yeah, it is. It seems it's in the it. middle of the West End. It's the most easily accessible venue in London, really, for absolutely everybody. 
uh, and it's got a great sense of occasion and, and a great heritage about it, you know, because you, you're thinking, well, everybody's stood on that stage, yeah. you know. It's, it's the same stage and it feels the same in the place. So there's a huge amount to be said for it, you know. It, it, it ought to be kind of marketed more heavily as it's a special night out of the Palladium. Oh, Palladium, completely, you know, because, you know, you're, I mean, it's, it's the variety shows and Morecambe and Wise and all that. Kind of, you and think everything. all those. Think all Lewis those. Armstrong, all those people yeah, exactly. have, all, have all been on that stage, you know. Yeah, yeah. All the great vaudeville performers, absolutely everybody has yeah. trod, trod those particular boards. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think you should, I think you should go and pay a tout, <laughs> get a ticket, give it to your wife. Don't go yourself. <laughs> That'd be the noble thing, wouldn't it? The Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. Any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm very well. I'm exhausted after my weekend at the Cheltenham Literature Festival. And the high oh. spot of which was having dinner on the Saturday evening with uh, various people, including Ian Hislop and Jess Phillips, the MP. Good value, both of them. Extremely oh, good Oh, my value. Lord. My God, she's good value. Yeah, well, she's Well, they're fantastic. both good value, but she, she was actually just on Have I Got News For You, wasn't she, the other day? So, well, I think uh, she effectively was still on Have I Got News For You when yeah, I had yeah, dinner yeah, with yeah. her. And um, anyway, we got to talking about facelifts. And I was uh, I was talking about having seen on television, um, just in the in the, in the wake of the death of the Queen, I saw Lulu being interviewed. Oh, I looked, thought looked terrifying, and I thought uh, and I saw um, I, I saw Jenny Agatha, <coughs> who I thought looked fabulous. Yes, uh, and, and my my cliched view is, Sansa had a lot of work done. Other person hasn't had any work done at all. She says, let me have a look, Jess Phillips says. Oh, no. Instantly gets out of phone. Whack. Gets up pictures. Because Jess Phillips is, is a, apparently the way she amuses herself on a Saturday evening, sits down and watches telly with members of her family or sisters or whatever, and they just sit there and watch whatever it is. And, well, she she's had work done. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And the thing about Jess Phillips, her view of this stuff is really quite technical. She just looks at her picture, and goes, "Well, looks good, looks good, but yeah, okay." There's something tweaking by the ears. There's yeah. something going on there, and she basically explained. She said, "I think she said she's 42," and she said, "My I'm 42, and my forehead has got has got lines on it. It's just got lines on it. If if you're 50 or 60, your forehead has definitely got lines on it. If you're 70 or whatever, you know, if you're Lulu's or Jenny Agatha's age." It's, there's got no line. way it doesn't have lines yeah. on it unless you've had something done, you know. And I thought it was really interesting because she was she was talking about all her mates and contemporaries and whatever have all had something done. And so it's one of those things that it's kind of like inflation. Once it enters the system, it affects absolutely everybody. You know, so if you're... If, if you're, you know, an actress, particularly if you're an actress, well, you're, certainly if you're a woman in the public eye, you start to notice people around you have had things done. Yeah. You, you're going to respond. You might respond only in a subtle way, only having a minor procedure, but you're probably going to respond because otherwise you're going to really fall behind. You know, it's like, I don't know, 40 years ago when actors suddenly started going to the gym. <clears throat> 
They all had to go to the gym. Yeah, they did. Because one Even start, John Cleese. Yeah. You're, you're going to be... Well, there was somebody very time. famously said, and I think it might have been Julie Christie, she said, uh, as an actress, she said, you're, you're looking at the parts people get. And you're seeing that people younger than you, because so, it always go, it goes, yeah. goes girl, girlfriend, kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, wife, uh, goes stepmom. No, young mum, young mum. Young mum, stepmom, wife, you know, and eventually grand. She said she was getting grandmother parts. There were people older than her still getting stepmother this parts. And uh, she thought, this is just outrageous. So I'm, well, what do you do? You know? Henceforth, I'm looking at facelifts in a completely different fashion. Don't go looking for the big grotesque overhaul go looking for the tiny little bit of adjustment in one detail of the picture so do you think you're now equipped to be able to spot that dave no i'm not but i'm going to be i'm far more alive to it now and so i think it's like that okay i throw this challenge to the massive i think your rock hero who you like to think is above all this i think who your rock hero no matter who he or she is has had something done I think they just because have. because everybody else has and they, you know exactly. Maybe well, can something. I be so bold as to throw a suggestion into the ring? You may because Alex. this might well be a controversial statement, but I'm going to say it now. As a lifelong Oasis fan, I've been obsessed with Noel Gallagher's face for many, many, many years, and I'm convinced that Noel Gallagher has enjoyed some kind of work on said face in the last ten years. It's perfectly it's possible, forehead. isn't it? I'm going to go further. Because he looks move. absolutely fantastic. Now, I'm gonna, he's he's really does, young. He looks younger now than he did in 1997. Yeah. Uh, also, his eyebrows are smaller. He's, uh, he's got no creases around the mouth. Um, Boy, you and, really have studied uh, this in great detail. I, yeah, yeah, but I, that's the point. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, Alex yeah. has made the same point as Jess Phyllis is making. You know, it's a technical thing. Don't go looking for the huge, obvious thing. Go looking for the tiny, yeah, subtle things. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm going to go further. So Alex Alex thinks he's being bold in saying, has Noel Gallagher had work? I'm going to go, I'm going to make it an even more sweeping statement. It would be absolutely amazing if he if hadn't. If he hadn't, exactly. That's the point. No matter who it is. Because Bob as you Dylan say, it can be so subtle. Yeah, probably. It can be so subtle. Because everybody kind of still yeah. thinks that a, a facelift is kind of a, who was the terrible example? Um, René Zellweger. Do you remember oh, René yeah, Zellweger? Yeah. Yeah. Came back and there were pictures on, I don't know what film she was promoting, there were pictures on double deck, deck of buses and you genuinely did not recognise her. <laughs> she looked completely <laughs> and utterly transformed. It wasn't a weight thing or anything, it was just a face thing. And uh, I mean, she was denied that she'd, she'd had anything done, but she patently must have done. But well, I say, think we've now reached the point where people have stopped denying it. Because, you know, because actually, when did somebody in, public, in the public eye last deny it? Because the likelihood is that they've had something done. It yeah. may not be huge, but they may have had something done. Yeah. But once you start, once you have something done and it's not disastrous, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Yeah. It's like buying a nice suit. If it fits, you think, I'm going to buy another one. Another it's one. Just, these these you, are good. This you, is me. Well, facelifting, it's going to work in the same way. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Notice how we're talking with airy, the airy self. 
Of a bunch of and ours have been really unsuccessful, I think. It possibly made it worse. We're a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of blokes who look so much like unmade beds. Nobody I know, could possibly I know. think that we will ever accuse us of, uh, of going in for it at all, you know. But anyway, I think, you know, here's the, my challenge to the massive. Your rock hero has had work done, um, you know. Prove otherwise. Anyway, autographs, further, further... Uh, thoughts from the Cheltenham Literature Festival. I happened to be uh, going through the festival grounds and going past the Waterton's tent as Richard Osman and Jarvis Cocker were signing autographs, okay, signing books in the enormous Great Waterton's tent. And, and Cheltenham, you've been at Cheltenham, Mark, many times. It's a huge deal, isn't it? Very big it's, deal. It's the kind of Glastonbury of literature festivals. It is. Absolutely enormous. And, OK, there's a queue going, sneaking out the tent on one side for Richard Osman and a queue sneaking out the tent on the other side for Jarvis Cocker. Who's got the longest queue? Well, I would imagine Richard Osmond because he is just absolutely spectacularly <laughs> successful, isn't he? But they're both really long queues. And yeah. God, it makes you, you know, if you're a poor author, it makes you kind of, you slouch your way, you know, thinking, oh my God, what's that like? You I know. know. But anyway, again... Uh, and they all want, at the top of the queue, they want to have just the briefest conversation with you. I suppose. And, and, and so so that's really difficult, because if you extend that conversation, you're disadvantaging all the people who are, you know, three quarters of an hour away at the back of the queue, and yet they want to talk to you too. So it's very hard to be diplomatic and it's make everyone feel OK. I couldn't believe the scale of it. It was absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. Anyway, sorry. Back to my dinner with Jess Phillips, which is now my dinner with Jess Phillips. Yes. It's not everybody else, it's just my dinner with Jess Phillips. She was telling me that she <coughs> took... J.K. Rowling got in touch with her when she was writing a book. She's, she's written a number of books under a, under a pen name, hasn't she? Yeah. J.K. Rowling. And, um, and one of them is sent in Parliament. So she wanted to get a feel for Parliament and whatever. And she got in touch with Jess Phillips and said, can I come? She said, by all means. So... So she had to be J.K. Rowling's minder in Westminster for a day. Or whatever. That's exciting, isn't it? And she said, <clears throat> That's a really, Jess Phillips, really, really good communicator. Yeah. Really gets to the bones of the story really quickly. And she said, what you have to understand about Parliament is the overwhelming majority of people who work in Parliament are 25 years old. And therefore, they've grown up with Harry Potter. They're absolutely obsessed with Harry Potter. He said walking around, she said walking around Westminster with J.K. Rowling was literally like walking around with the Beatles. Yeah, there is no bigger star. <laughs> Just, which I'd never really thought of before. Yeah. She said people with tears in their eyes, people shaking, people just couldn't look at her. You can't believe this. No, I can believe it totally. And um, our kids grew up with her, and they just absolutely adored her, and still do. And uh, and she said when she said, and then some some people had proffered books to sign. And if anybody had a first edition of the first Harry Potter book, and asked, she was asked to sign it. She first of all said, "Now, do you want me to sign it to Jane J.K. Rowling, or do you want, do you want to, to sell just, it?" Oh, quite, <laughs> <laughs> quite. <clears throat> So the raw autograph means it's worth 
A lot of money, apparently. Huge amount. Yeah. I probably got a first edition of Harry Potter somewhere in the house. You know, I never realised it was worth that that much. Mind your mind isn't signed, but I was I was really taken by that. You know, and of course, the autograph is kind of is fighting back against the selfie, isn't it? Really, you know, it's something you can you can take away. You know, and um, and. Um, I just thought that was absolutely astonishing. There's an amazing moment when Bob Dylan was being interviewed by, I think, Jan Wenner, but I'm not sure now, um, for Rolling Stone. And somebody barges in there in a restaurant, so barges up and says, uh, you know, can I have your autograph? And so Dylan very sweetly signs the autograph. And then someone comes in a bit later saying, that guy got your autograph, he's outside trying to sell it. And Dylan's going, oh, really? How much is he asking? Because he was really interested to see yeah, what, his, what his worth was at the moment. I want to take the, take the, take the, uh, the temperature of my stock, uh, yeah, current absolutely. standing. Yeah, yeah. So what, have we, what else have we got, Alex? Have we got any new Patreon uh, supporters who we enormously we, we value? Do. We do. In, we do indeed. I'm going to tell you who they are right now, in fact. They are Steve Buckley. Steve Excellent, Buckley. Steve. Very good to have you on board. No relation to the Steve Buckley we used to work with. He could be, could be the same, one and the same. You remember Steve Buckley? Could be Steve Buckley, lovely guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a lovely guy anyway. If he's a patron, exactly. Yes. <laughs> anyway, go on. Even lovelier. Uh, Philip. Philip Rafferty. Philip, Philip Rafferty. Rafferty hello, welcome Philip. aboard. Very nice to have you. Charlie Gould. Charlie Gould. Charlie. Also. Extremely welcome. Maurice Gallagher. Mar I know Maurice, Maurice that's Gallagher. That's a good name. Maurice Gallagher. That's a name. Uh, oh, I know Maurice. The, uh, the, the doyen of the pluggers back in the day and all kinds of other uh, places. I've been halfway around uh, the world with Maurice Gallagher. Very, very good value, Maurice. Carry on. Baird Standish. Baird Standish. Baird, a, that's a great name. Baird too. Standish. Baird Standish. Standish sounds as if he ought to be presenting a great outdoors series on Channel 4. Got a Bear Grylls type character. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Looking windswept and interesting. Absolutely. On the, on the, he's, the cooling hills. He's banging Munro's somewhere. Yeah. Baird Standish. <laughs> banging Munro's with Baird Standish at Channel 4 on Channel 4 at 8.30 this evening. Carry on. Uh, this is a good Bring your Kendall Mint case. This, this is a good way to move forward with names. This is go on, carry on. This, this is this is another fantastic name actually. Maxwell Kemp. Maxwell. Maxwell Kemp. Kemp. Maxwell God. Kemp. Is he in a jazz is, band? Could no, he be a Max, clarinet player? No, in a Max, band? Maxwell Kemp is on is on CBBS. He's <laughs> he's popping up between the cartoons on children's BBC. Maxwell Kemp. <laughs> he's straight out of skate, stage school. And he's, you know, he's a very bouncy character. Carry on. Go on. That's all for this week. Oh, we must play yeah. this game again. We're going to play that we again. That's very good. So if you'd like your name, you know, if you, because the, the, um, it, if there weren't already enough benefits from being a Patreon supporter, now the new benefit is as we announce the names of new Patreon supporters... We allot them roles in the TV schedules. Okay? In a, in a, in a fantasy them, world. We give <laughs> right. them TV programs to present based yeah. entirely on their name. Okay. Yeah. It's you know, if you are looking for the final nudge, that may be it. www.com slash word in your ear. This podcast was brought to you by the word.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.